Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Issues Program and this week's episode of Star Trek Month. Second to last episode that I'm going to be talking about Star Trek and not doing the live show thing. Starting back at the beginning of June, we'll be back to doing the regular Issues Program when I'm live on Thursdays and podcasts coming out on Fridays as well. But this, today's episode is a very special one. I brought in with me a good friend, Steph NEZ from StephNEZ.com. We'll hear her in a second, and you'll hear a whole podcast, basically, that her and I did pretty much directly after seeing Into the Darkness. Into Darkness. <laughs> That's funny I say that, because you'll hear at the very beginning of the podcast, I say that it's Into Darkness. I keep saying Into the Darkness, and then I refer to it right afterwards as Into the Darkness. It's, it's wonderful. Now, I go into... A little bit of my problems, my fanboy issues with the movie. Stephanie Z kind of puts me in my place. And maybe this wasn't clear, or I listened back to this podcast, and it might not be clear from listening to what you're about to listen to. I very much enjoyed the movie. Was it a cerebral mindfuck that I wanted it to be? No. Was it a good visual diehardish type whatever movie to be entertained by watching? Yes, it was that. And... And Steph kind of puts me in my place here. She uh, calls me out on a little bit of my BS and a little bit on me enjoying the movie. And you'll hear it all in the podcast here. But as I said, I remind you, this was very late at night after a evening of enjoying my birthday festivities and drinking and eating lots of pasta. So our energy level isn't quite as high as we wanted to be. Plus, we are just sat in the full spectrum of a 3D, I always want to say Omni, but... But you know what I mean, the big widescreen IMAX. Yeah, I, because around the Boston area, when I was first introduced to IMAX, it was called the Omni Theater. Whenever I refer to IMAX, I always just automatically refer it to as Omni. Oh, that's the Omni Theater, which is, I guess, my own issue altogether. So everyone, I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's going to start over again like you're hearing the beginning of a show. But that's just, uh, I'm going to get to, you know, that, that stuff that we recorded directly, literally right after we saw the movie. So, hope you guys enjoy, and thank you for checking out the Issues Program, and thank you very much, issuesprogram.com. Check it out, all sorts of news stories and uh, podcasts and things like that will be coming to you all the time. And if you have anything to add to this podcast or any bit of information you want to drop in, uh, call me out on some of my bullshit, agree with me, disagree, agree with Steph disagree with Steph, you can text or call 781-990-8509. Again, that's 781-990-8509. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next week. But talk to you next week, but don't go anywhere because another part of the podcast is actually about to start right now. Hello, everybody. It's Phil, the Issues Guy. And we just got back from seeing Star Trek Into the Darkness. And, or Into Darkness. I keep wanting to say Into the Darkness. I don't know why. It's Into the Darkness. And I figured we'd get on here and say a couple of our initial thoughts, gripes, problems like that. And just so you know, this is going to be spoilers. By the time this podcast comes out, the movie will have been out over a week. So at this point, eh, spoilers, deal with it. So we're here today with Steph NEZ from StephNEZ.com. And she watched the movie with me. And she is a Star Trek fan as well. Maybe not as obsessive as myself or Gotti, the guy in the last episode. But she definitely does like Trek. Uh, 
got into it through Deep Space Nine when I forced upon forced Deep Space Nine upon her. So going into seeing this movie, um, how did you feel? Did you enjoy it? Was it was it a fun ride for you? Well, we did see it at Jordan's Furniture, so the uh, seats move, which I thought was an added element. Um, the movie itself was very entertaining. I enjoyed every every bit of it. 3D was good. Yeah, I thought the 3D was really good. I thought uh, right from the get-go, especially in that first section, which was almost like a television show within the movie. And I enjoyed that first section. We had seen that when we went to go see The Hobbit. The visual, I mean, I guess that section of the movie was filmed in IMAX stock, similar to the way that uh, The Dark Knight, that beginning section with the Joker uh, and the bank was all filmed in IMAX uh, film stock to give it that look specifically for that kind of uh, that kind of medium. So I do encourage if you if you haven't to see the movie in 3D, it uh, it it offers a lot of you know, kind of the equivalent of some guy reaching out of the screen and going blah, 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 in your face or something like that. Definitely enhances. Yeah, it enhances it. It makes missiles look bigger, like big penises shooting out from Kirk's balls. So the the beginning half of this movie or the beginning section of this movie when uh, it's Kirk and, and the team in the action – on a planet saving in, in indigenous people. That seemed to me like an episode of uh, the television series or something like that. So that, yeah, that section, it I, I enjoyed it, but what were you saying? You said you thought it seemed a little out of place? Yeah, definitely seemed out of place. It didn't connect to anything else in the movie. Uh, all it really connected to was... Was Kirk to go- getting in trouble? No, no, no. Was Kirk getting in trouble because you needed to eventually somehow get, make make when Pike got killed mean more as he loses the Enterprise and then gets the Enterprise back? But I think that scene or that section of the movie was to illustrate Kirk saving Spock's life, so later when he could return the favor, you know, they could have that line. Okay, well, so let's get into this. Now, initially, like I said, this beginning section, and I enjoyed the beginning section, even though I agree the visual aspect of it, the way it placed into the movie seemed a bit out of place. It, it seemed like it was it meant for a television series, meant almost its own individual thing. You can, you can tell it was crafted specifically for to show off in previews to be for that extended preview sort of thing that they were doing it with. I, I also feel at, before I get into it, I need I need to say this. Now I, I've been into Star Trek for a long time since my childhood. I've saw I talked about this. I saw Star Trek Five in the movie theater. I saw uh, I believe I saw the second one as well. Original the original Rathacon at the theater as well. So I know what kind of movie going audience goes to see these things for the most part historically. What I will say about the people that were going, the waiting in line to see this movie, my worst fears were hoped. They were all the quote-unquote pretty people. There are a lot of uh, pretty people wait, going to see this movie. There weren't a lot of uh, people that looked like me. I don't know. I think, there were a lot of nerds there. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. It was like three. 
and the, one of them was where and only one I only saw one person with any Star Trek memorabilia or any sort of connection to the series. I mean, the people behind us kind of were, and at certain sections, I'll get to this in a minute, at certain sections, they reacted in similar fashions to the way I reacted. Because, <laughs> okay, straight up, the movie is very entertaining. It's an entertaining movie. There, It's fun to watch. Uh, like Steph was saying, the 3D is very exciting. Uh, the seats move at Jordan's, the... The, uh, the IMAX gives you a great feel. Even, I bet, seeing it in a regular theater, uh, the action is shot really well. The movie looks beautiful. For the most part, all the acting jobs were, were done really well. All the actors put in really good performances. The script was written pretty well for an action movie. Uh, <clears throat> a little cheesy at times. A little though. cheesy at times. I personally did not love all of the music choices that were used in the movie for cues to symbolize feelings. The first time we're introduced to our villain, I uh, I forget what his original name was. Uh, but something Hammond. John, John, John Hammond yeah, or something. Khan. Okay, it is Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. I was worried for a second that I might be wrong. But no, it is. It is, in fact, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Um, <laughs> but when we first introduce him, he... He helps somebody out. He uh, saves some guy's daughter that really, again, came out of nowhere. It's just random to introduce introduce what his blood can do. So later on, they can use it to save Kirk. That's that's the only reason for that scene. That's so that's the that's so friggin' definitely disjointed. Mm. Not just that. It's it. Okay. I forget the expression, like a device. Uh, it was made just so it can be the solution in the end. <clears throat> There's a character in the Superman myth- mythology, one of the Superman's rogue gallery guys named Doomsday. I've used him in uh, DC, in the DC uh, Injustice Gods amongst, Among among Us. Uh, and basically, he was a character created simply for the fact to be somebody that could kill Superman. That's all he was created for. So he could kill Superman. No other point. No other really relevance to where he came from. He just showed up one day. And goes, I want to kill Superman. And he kills Superman. <clears throat> he kills himself too, but whatever. And 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 it seemed to me... I think the expression's a McDuffin. It's when something is just created to... To serve a purpose, and and at one point we find out at the very beginning when we when we're introduced to Khan that his blood can save people's lives. They 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 show it to us twice. They show it to us once at the very beginning of the movie, and then once with a tribble later later right before it actually saves Kirk, just to remind us. Oh, his blood can do this. Uh oh, Kirk's not going anywhere. Well, then we just friggin' raped a fucking classic scene in cinema just for no apparent reason but we'll get to that uh excuse me i just broke wind this movie gives me gas <laughs> or it was dinner before yeah it was the pasta dinner before so we're introduced to our ridiculous villain uh not a ridiculous villain he villain he's played cumberbatch i think is the actor's name uh he does a really good job with some aspects of the villain but i do find him Slightly over the 
toppy, diehard villainous shit times. You know, a little, a little, I don't know. He showed some emotion. He cried. He did. He cried. He showed deception. I, I guess the scenes that, the scenes were cool with him fighting, very entertaining, but it, it, it seemed to me at times, like I think I even whispered over to you at one point, this feels like a diehard movie to me. Like some of the things when he's like jumping from airplane, just flying in the sky. I am calculating perfectly the trajectory of the air mass. I don't know. It gets a little lame. So Kirk saves Spock at the beginning and he loses command of the Enterprise. And it's a whole bunch of madness. But at the same time, this guy, we'll call him Khan does some terrorist action in Starfleet uh, Hall of Records or something. And basically, it's like the mob scene from Godfather 3. All the mob godfathers of Starfleet get into one room and they talk about how they have to kick ass and and chew bubblegum and really change things. And then, I forget what his name, I'm going to call him Benny Blanco from the Bronx because I'm mixing it with Carlito's way because I can't think of Joe Montana's character from Godfather 3 because most of my brain is blocked out most of Godfather 3 if I'm lucky. But the thing is, it was a similar type scene when when the helicopter comes and shoots everybody. So he shows up and and because he knows because he's a part of the whole Starfleet thing, you don't really know how much at that point in time. But... He's part of. He knows how Starfleet works, so he, so he knew where they all be, and he tried to kill them all. And of course, Kirk is the one he can't count on, and Kirk's, Kirk's able to foil the plan. But unfortunately, Pike is killed, and it's all emotional. Oh, Pike is dead. Which would have been more sad if we cared a little bit more about Pike. I mean, I know I liked him in the first movie, but. He always seems to me the guy that comes back in the original series episode is that machine. Did you ever see that uh, South Park episode where the it's the story when the kids, they forced a bully to go away to school because they burned a teacher alive or something like that. And they pee on her to put her out and stuff. Mm-mm. She comes back as this machine. On the series, that's what Pike comes back at, after the... After what happens in... Oh, whatever. <laughs> we'll have to watch those episodes. So, Deep, Deep Space Nine. It has me thinking of Deep Space Nine because it does have a Deep Space Nine reference to some extent. So then after that point, Kirk convinces them to give him his ship back. Him and Spock get on the same page. A lot of time it seems like the action adventures of young Kirk and Spock going from mission to mission... You know, the rest of the crew is kind of in the background. Scotty was a little bit more in the forefront in this movie. But again, Bones is just sort of comic relief. Does it, They don't really play up the triad. It's, again, sort of from Kirk and Spock's perspective. And that bothers me to an extent. And their bromance. Yeah, they do have sort of a bromance going on in the movie, don't they? Mm. Like a serious bromance. By, by like midway through the movie, they're holding like... Holding hands. Yeah, I love you. I love you. Kirk, don't you know it? You'll be my friend. I mean, this is why I said this at the beginning. Everything I'm saying, mind you... Okay, I'm going to say this once and for all. It's a good, entertaining action movie. It's a shitty Star Trek movie. 
shitty. There's a lot of plot holes, a lot of things that bothered me, a lot of laugh-out-loud moments of, like, how the hell could you put this in here? Just, like, somebody going... It, it almost, some of it looked, felt like fan fiction. Like, oh, and, and, we're going to make this guy Khan. <laughs> oh, oh, and, we're going to have the blonde from Wrath of Khan that has Kirk's kid eventually show her tits. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Or be in her bra and underwear. Yeah, but not show her tits because they want her. the little kids to come to the movie. Yeah, they did show, like, when Kirk was in bed with the two. Uh, they didn't yeah. show boobs, they showed tail. No, the alien boobs. The alien. No, we saw alien boobs. I didn't see alien boobs. I, well, maybe I imagined it in my mind. <clears throat> maybe I wanted there to be alien boobs. There would have been four alien boobs. So there were two aliens. Two, yep. We need to have Kirk with two women at one point in time. And, okay, so let's get to this here. <laughs> I'm, I've, I'm putting this off, but I just want to say I enjoyed the movie. I had a great time watching it. It was a good in-the-theater movie, a good summer blockbuster, fun, fun, fun. I... Did not like it as much as I liked Iron Man three. I I think I liked Iron Man three better. But going back to your comment about not being Star Trek, a good Star Trek movie, the last movie brought us out of context of the original series in any way. It had its own trajectory. So yep. this yeah. is a new world. This is a new nah. con. No, I, this is a new I, everything. I, I, and to people who weren't Star Trek fans to begin with, it's new characters anyway. Okay, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I agree with you. Uh, and I agree with you about the first movie, and I love that about the first movie as well. What I don't love about this movie is I don't feel like they took what they plotted out in the first movie and expanded on that. What I feel like they did is I feel like they treaded backwards, and what they ended up falling into the trap of is turning it into caricatures of the other characters. They didn't go further enough into the world. That's what I'm saying when I turn to you at the point in the movie where... Okay, let me quickly sum this up. So basically at that point, uh, Pike's killed. The Enterprise takes over. This big Admiral guy gives the ship back to Kirk and tells him to go to Klingon, that he's hot, that the bad guy's hiding on, on the Klingon homeworld. Tells him where in the homeworld he's hiding. Goes to the homeworld with, with 72 missiles. I think it's 72 missiles, yeah. Like, and, and is supposed to blow him up. That's it. Blow him up. Scotty quits because he's not down with blowing people up and wants to open the missiles and see what's in inside. But so Scotty disappears for a part of the movie. It's basically just so Simon Pegg can get in a scene and get drunk. That's basically all that's for is so Scotty can have a drunk scene with his mute midget alien with his mute friend. Mute midget alien friend. Mm. So Scotty gets drunk off the planet, and then they go to find the the bad guy they go they go to find the bad guy one second oh it's down there in the bowl mm. <laughs> and what was i saying before oh what was your po okay no. so then they go to the so then they go to the planet and they they get into big fights with these weird creatures that are supposed to be klingons that's supposed to be klingons but weren't klingons Except they for were bald and they wore weird armor. Yeah, and I understand that. Kling, I understand that you want to reimagine different creatures and stuff like that. But Boom. the and the original Klingons on the original Star Trek didn't look like normal Klingons, and they 
but these weren't Klingons. These were weird. They had blue eyes. Yeah, they what were. What the heck ra- was that? Yeah, they were random. The only thing that made them Klingons is when a whore is translating, she uses words like honor. They had the the weapon. And they had. Uh, the, what did we call it? They didn't have a. It wasn't a bat left. Yes, it was. No, it was a sword. It was a knife. No, one of the guys had a had oh, a bat. Had, did one of them have yeah. a bat left? I must have missed that. There's also a couple other references, like you see, you see the Enterprise from the television show Enterprise on, on the Admiral's table, which is kind of cool. Uh, little things like that that I knew, and little points like that I didn't mind. Like the first half of the movie has a couple of moments like that, like like right in the first scene, in that big first moment I was telling you, Spock randomly quotes, uh, "The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the like needs of the one," or. And he says it like in passing, almost as a joke. And I got that. That was funny. There's a couple other things that Simon Pegg said that was that were area 31. No, no, that we haven't got we uh, section 31. We section haven't got 31. got we haven't got to that yet. So, so the admiral sends them off on the way, and at the time explains to them that there's this rogue organization known as Section 31 that's been working to try to infiltrate the Klingon organization and fuck up the Klingons. Which is really, I found that pretty damn cool because Section 31 is an organization that we find out about in Deep Space Nine that get, that is told to have been around for a long, long time. And we see hints of it in the previous movies even though we don't know it's Section 31. In Star Trek VI, that very easily could have been Section 31 that orchestrated that. A Next Generation, there was a couple of episodes where organizations not really described rogue sections of the Federation did some shady shit. And in Section 31, we learn a lot more about, like, put a name on it, like like the Tal Shiar or, uh, I forgot what the Klingons ones are called, are called or um, the Obsidian Order for the Cardassians. Each of the major races has one, so it would make sense that the Federation would have a Section Thirty One. So to have make reference to that was pretty cool. That's where things started to go downhill for me. After that, so they go to the planet, and instead of firing on the planet, Kirk decides, you know, because he's a good guy, because Pike Pike filled them with good vibes. He decides that he's going to go and capture him. He goes down there and says he has seven, and Sulu pretends to be the captain and says something about the missiles. So Khan shows up, kicks the piss out of all the, but mind you, we don't know he's Khan yet at this point. We just think he's some badass, evil, terrorist, rogue Federation guy. And he, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. In my head, I'm thinking, this is pretty neat. It's not Khan. They're not doing this. My my rumors, my fears are left unfounded. This guy's a new villain. Maybe he's another genetically enhanced individual, another person from the Botany Bay or something like that, it, or some something weird has happened with the timeline change. But it's not going to be Khan. Yay. So they get down the planet, and... And they bring him up. He comes to jail. They have that section that you've seen in the previews, where he talks to, uh, where he talks to him in the prison cell and all that sort of stuff. He gets into the prison cell and he like and gets into that whole talk with him that you see in the previews and all that sort of stuff. And and then that's when it's revealed. That's when the big reveal happens. Generally around that point. 
and it's revealed that, in fact, he has been dethawed by the Admiral, and he is not any ordinary terrorist. He is Khan. Dun dun dun. The theater it was like a gap. General in general, it was a general gasp in the theater. Would you say there was a sort of like ah 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 sort of and and me. I go pretty loudly, I would say, went, boo, boo, and uh, Steph went, shh, and I said, boo, and I could hear the people behind me laughing. I was like, boo, and I have to say, I didn't like that. That was when the movie lost it for me completely. They did not need to make it con. To, to go what, to what you were saying... This is where the movie decided not to do its own thing. It decided to tread back and go back to Rathacon and, and Space Seed and, and steal from that and throw in a shitload of fan service things that made absolutely no sense from that point on to the end of the movie. And at that point on, Khan teams up with Kirk and Spock to go defeat the Admiral with this gi- and then this giant prototype... Uh, starship shows up and somehow can can shoot them out of warp which doesn't make sense but whatever can shoot them out of warp has this technology that isn't doesn't exist in the 24th century where uh where picard and all those boys are but apparently you know a fucked up timeline makes tech be invented quicker i guess you know whatever (laughs) and basically what happened with the whole con thing was because vulcan was destroyed and the Federation freaked out a little bit, and 31 freaked out. They decided to find the Botany Bay or find the pe- people from that and and thaw out Khan to try to help him fight Nero, I guess. And a lot of shitload of good that did. So at that point, we get into the whole Kirk with Khan working to get onto the ship at the same time as Spock running the Enterprise. So then we get a cameo from old Spock where Spock calls Spock. Do you like that scene? Do you like the Spock Spock on Spock crime? Yeah. <laughs> you were nodding. I like I like I like Nimoy. Yeah, me too. And my my one problem with the Nimoy stuff is is when uh Nimoy's on screen it makes me takes me out of it a little bit more because it makes Quinto seem even less like Spock than he already does to me. He seemed, all the characters in general seemed less like, all the actors seemed less like the characters this time and more like people doing cosplay versions of the characters on a, um, on, at a mark, at a Mac bar. <laughs> I need to go back to that. A lot of people said that about the first movie, but the Bridge of the Enterprise looks like the Mac store. It really does. Everything's white and it's, it's so bright and. I do like the way they do engineering now, making engineering look like a big giant warehouse or something. It's pretty cool. So then we get the big, we get the big con uh, reveal, as I said, which is really stupidly annoying to me. And I laughed at it very loudly in the theater, <laughs> or booed. Excuse me, I didn't laugh. I booed. And then I started to just be pissed off at that point in time in the theater. I just started ragging on everything. That's when I think I made my die-hard die comment at some point in there. So Spock talks to old, young Spock. Old Spock talks to young Spock. Young Spock talks to old Spock. 
and and they have a little interaction about Khan. Because what you got to remember is old Spock lived through all the other movies, all of Next Generation. He knows everything. So he explains to young Spock what kind of bastard this guy is. And... And and then young Spock asks him how does how did they defeat him in the past? And everyone knows Rathacon knows how Kirk Kirk tricked him and was able to uh, use his ego as against them, against him to defeat him. So Spock kind of sets up a similar thing, beams over all his uh, what he really needs, uses his love for his family against him, and beams over all the missiles that have all his people frozen inside of it. Or so he thinks. And Khan, with some sense of honor, uses it to, uh, to, to releases Kirk and everything like that, thinking he's just going to blow the ship up in a second. Spock tricked him, da-da-da-da, and blew up the botany bay, or blew up the botany bay, blew up Khan's ship, or, you know, pretty incapacitated Khan's ship to a certain extent, and... And there you go. But the problem at that point becomes the Enterprise is is fucked. It's going to destroy itself. It's going to crash into the Earth. Suddenly we're back around Earth. And the Enterprise is going to crash into Earth. Which is really weird. That was a weird transition. They just transitioned. Suddenly we're at Earth. And they're crashing into Earth. Well, they were headed towards Earth to bring Khan to trial. Yeah, but when they got into the whole fight with Khan, what he has on the ship and that whole thing... That wasn't, they were mid-warp to Earth, and they just sort of float to Earth after that. But, which, I don't know, kind of... Fall to Earth. Yeah. For a long way. Through the whole solar system. Must be really powerful gravity on Earth. In the future, there's really powerful gravity on Earth. So, the Kirk, this is where it gets really stupid. (laughs) You know the scene in Rathacon where Spock decides he has to save the ship and he runs down and and basically does, well, goes into the, knocks out McCoy, goes into the gas chamber, so to speak, saves the ship and dies with his hand up against Kirk. Uh, you and I will be friend, our friend. You live and I will and always prosper. be friends. Live long and prosper. He's don't go in there, he'll flood the compartments. You know, he's dead already. <laughs> they basically just recreated that scene almost moment for moment, but flipped it around <laughs> with Kirk being the one dying and Spock being on the outside. And then Spock freaking the fuck out. And and the, with the, the stupidest part of the whole entire movie, having Spock yell, Khan! So not only did they have to use Khan... Not only did they have to recreate the most emotional scene from any of the Star Trek movies, they had to use the biggest joke, silly, ridiculous scene from Shatner's biggest moment in the world, the yelling of Khan. That's not a good moment. Rathacon's a great movie, but that Khan, is, it's funny. It's like Shatner at his best goofy Shatner. Like, why not have him just shout? Yeah. Ah! Not... Khan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was just ridiculous fan service, is what it's co- is what it's called. It's it's like oh, 
We have to do that. That's what people want to see. And it's not what I want to see. But casual people, again, as I said at the beginning, the pretty people that were all there, they all loved it. And I loved it, too, on a visceral level of a fun movie level. And I know I'm sounding like a bitter Star Trek geek, and in a way I am. (laughs) The movie wasn't cerebral enough for me. It didn't make me think enough. It was, like, all surface fun. That's what I get out it's of Star. It's a blockbuster. What would you I mean? That's what I get out of Star it's Wars. For the masses. But that's what I, that's what I want from Star Wars. I don't want that out of Star Trek. Out of Star Trek, I want something deeper. I want like. I want the Cisco. <laughs> I don't care. I want the Cisco. <laughs> so at that point, Kirk's dead. Spock beats the shit out of Khan. And they capture him, or does he die? Or they ca- no. They in ca- that point, they discover, they realize the the triple wakes up, and then they are like, "Hurry up, get the cryo dome." Oh yeah, or and, they need, and they need to save Khan's life. So th- this is one of those things I don't get either. Why couldn't they just use one of the other cryogenically frozen people's blood? Or the triple? <laughs> no, because the triple doesn't have enough of the genetic weird mm. blood but you, can't you just use one of the frozen people's blood the 72 other people you I have guess. there but then you'd have to take that like wake them up out of no, it no you could have just kept them in stasis mm. you have that kind of technology whatever <laughs> but for, we needed to keep Khan alive because we need to bring him back in a couple movies for for Star Trek 4 Wrath of Khan <laughs> so that's basically it and then and then everything's happily ever after they they go off for their five-year mission. Everyone's alive. Kirk's back to alive. Spock is more in touch with his human side than ever. And, okay, this is the last thing I want to talk about. In the first movie, they obviously hinted at, or more than hinted at. In the first movie, they had that whole Ahura-Spock romance thing. The, the, the fan fiction. The... The thing that sounds like this girl I used to date that used to write pornographic novels about her and Spock. It's in like put herself in the place. It's like, no, no. Okay. I get why you put them together. You need some sort of love story other than Kirk's bullshit. But in this movie, like in the last movie, I thought it was the perfect amount of it. Just a little bit, you know, a kiss in the, kiss in the, kiss in the, in the turbo lift. Well, this time it was like a love triangle with their their drama against each other. It, but not not even a triangle. It was more like just like they were the bickering couple. It was like the, the with sp- their third wheel with the Spock of with the Spock of jokes with the, with Spock as the butt of the jokes. Like his oh you you don't care about our relationship. Da-da-da. It was like a CW show. It was like I was watching Nine Hundred Two and Oh the Gossip Girl a couple of times, <laughs> and it seemed to be her only purpose in the whole thing was to be Spock's girlfriend. And that's not what a horror is about. I don't think so. I think she was very, like, in action, especially at the end. She jumps in and she stuns Khan. And... Yeah, she shoots him a few times, I guess. I guess she she served more of a purpose than Kumar did. And or... she she was with she talking the Klingon with the, the Klingons. She served a purpose there. Yeah, I guess. She that was w- demanding. She's like, let me do this. That was the closest, that was the closest to it to a real horror moment I guess was the Klingon section but still eh. okay all in all I would probably give this movie out of out of 10 I'd give it probably 8 I'd say 7.5 I'd say 8 
compared to Star Trek movies, if I if I'm being a Star Trek geek about it, God, if I'm being a Star Trek geek about it, I'd probably give it like a six. It would probably lose the whole point because of because of just bullshit fan service and not enough not enough uniqueness to the store to the world that they've created in the first movie a little bit too falling back on what i feel like jj abrams felt like fans wanted to see it doesn't seem like they 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 to me it doesn't feel like a creatively written script it feels like it feels like a bunch of people sat in a room and said oh what what do you think what do you think people want to see out of a Star Trek movie with Kirk and Spock? And this is this is Kirk and Spock starring in a movie. And I understand that in a film you need to focus your stars. It's part of the reason why Next Generation never worked as a movie. You had too many people and not enough big stars. And in the original cast, you you focused specifically on a few characters and the rest were background material. And, but with the original cast and the original people, you really focused on the triad. It wasn't just about Kirk and Spock. It wasn't just about their plight, their adventures, their bromance. It honestly, it was always about a bromance. You mentioned bromance before, but it was about a three-way bromance. It was about the three of them. Again, Keith, Keith Urban over there, Carl Urban, I'm sorry, Keith Urban. Carl, Carl Urban is doing a wonderful DeForest Kelly impression. Impression, okay? I will say about Chris Pine. Chris Pine is Chris Pine is Kirk. He's not doing a Shatner. At no point in, at no point in time in this movie did I did I even for a second think about William Shatner. There was not one point where I was like, oh. But he at least carries. I think he carries the he's, character. Yeah. He's definitely like he's, a very good leading actor. He is in that the movie. he yeah, he's a he's a great he's he has a great future in Hollywood. He this is what I'll say about Chris Pine. He out of every single one of them, he's brings the most of himself to the character. He he makes that Kirk alive. It feels like a young Kirk and it doesn't feel like someone doing a Shatner impression. Everybody else with the exception of maybe Sulu, but I just don't like what he's doing with Sulu. But he's making him his own. But he's, he's the goofy Asian guy. Yeah, but he's you know? but that but 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 that's not what uh, George Takei was on the show. He wasn't the goofy Asian guy. He was he was a very cool, calculating uh, officer uh, pilot. He was very he he wasn't a comic relief at all. He was. Well, I don't think he's a comic relief. I just I think, think he's, he's that I, stereotype. That... I think he's being. I think he's too goofy. I don't. Th- I don't think he's Sulu. I think he's Kumar or Harold or who the fuck he is. <laughs> like seriously, Harold. I don't think that guy's acting. I don't see anything from him. The Chekhov is playing a caricature of Chekhov. But that being said, Chekhov was a caricature of a Russian anyway. He also does a pretty good, pretty good accent. I think yeah, no, it's believable. No, he's believable. Russian. Simon Pegg. Is Simon Pegg playing Scotty? I respect what he does with the part. He had a lot of funny moments. Yeah, he's not Scotty. The running down the. Yeah. Down he's the... not Scotty, but he's fucking hilarious. He's Simon Pegg. He, he gets a pass. Uh, Zoe, whatever her name is, playing Zoe Ahura. Saldana. She's she's decent in Ahura, but I feel like she doesn't quite grasp 
the warmth that Nichelle Nichols has as as the character. There's something so warm about the real horror that this girl doesn't have. She's just a little too sharp around the edges for me to play a horror. But but that's a, that's a choice. I don't feel like she's playing a caricature of a horror. I guess my main complaint complaint is with Spock, Zachary Quinto, and and Keith and Keith Urban. I'm going to say it again, Carl Urban. Both of them, Bones and Spock, are so important to what that cast means. Their interactions with each other, they have more chemistry than Kirk and Spock do. That's in the re. In, DeForest Kelly and fucking and Leonard Nimoy have what I call not that all of them didn't, but even beyond that, the two of them have screen charisma of balls deep, enormous, lovey pants, epic proportions. They they just when they argue on screen, it's the funniest. It's some of the funniest shit you'll ever see. Carl Urban when he says his bones lines, a couple of them were funny, but. The funniest parts are is that they remind you of McCoy. He sounds like McCoy. There's no back and forth between him and Spock. They don't have that bounce. There's no you green-blooded hobgoblin, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're, it's, he, Bones is just like that with everybody. He's just, oh, I'm a curmudgeon. And it's like Kirk and McCoy had a, had a bond of friendship, and they had this Spock was alien to them, not like an enemy to them. Or not like, like a friend, but the really and Zachary Quinto does looks the part, says the words right, but to me he's he's just playing. He's wearing the Spock costume and pretending to be Spock. He's not bringing. He's not bringing a unique. I guess. I guess he is. I'm give. I'm being hard on him. What he's bringing to Spock that Leonard Nimoy didn't is. Is he? Is he's bringing more humanism to him, where Nimoy played up the Vulcan side, uh, Quinto is playing, playing him more, playing more of his half-human side and showing you more of. And I guess that makes sense considering he lost his home planet of Vulcan, so he has feels more connected to, to, uh, to, to the human race. So all in all, as I said, I give the movie everything into account as i said for the basis of an action movie and what it was going for i give it a seven and a half out of out of ten if i'm going as a star trek fan i give it about a five out of ten five or six out of ten so i'm gonna even that out and give the movie a seven out of ten and i highly recommend seeing it it was fun and uh you any final thoughts about the movie I was thinking uh, the opposite of you in terms of a Star Trek fan, having seen some of the Star Trek movies of the past, obviously the special effects were a million times better than anything you could expect. I thought it was just really well done and captivating, and even the first the first movie was like that. I thought that the, this new generation of Star Trek movies has definitely brought more attention back to the original Star Trek, but being its own... Star Trek franchise as well. I think it's been successful. Does it give you hope for JJ in the uh, doing the Star Wars franchise? Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed. It. I, I I could watch many more of these. This cast in Star Trek movies, I enjoy them. 
So as somebody that isn't, wouldn't call yourself a Trekkie or a Trekker, just a casual fan of the series, you uh, you were very entertained by it. Yes. Yeah. And most of my criticisms do seem nitpicky, right? Yes. As a Trekkie. Yeah. I mean, that was your initial question when I got out of the movie. You're like, did you like it? And yeah, I liked it. But as a Trek fan, I'm way pissed off. Way pissed off. There's so much that he shit on. He, you know, he just didn't give a shit about a lot of stuff and just, and just used and I don't know, but it was a very entertaining movie. I agree with what you said. It looked very pretty. It, it was uh, fun to watch. It, good time in the theater. I'm glad I went. Glad I saw it. You know, I, I would it upset me if JJ handed the franchise off to somebody else now that he's rebooted it and we see a different different director working with this cast that I would not mind. I, uh, I think they did set up obviously for the sequel of what the next movie is going to be. It's going to be the Klingon war. They hinted at it a couple of times that this next movie is going to, it's going to be a war movie, which could be done. Well, if they don't use the same Klingons cause they were ridiculous looking. I think he's using the same Klingons. They need to have hair. That was like the most defining part of a Klingon to me. Yeah, that and the forehead, but which they did carry on. But blue eyes, that's just creepy. Mm. It looks weird. Yeah. It's like, it's like Big Trouble in Little China, Asian girls with green eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and blonde hair. And blonde hair. Kim Cattrall. Okay, everybody. This was uh, our initial thoughts after the Star Trek movie. Almost said Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it felt like Star Wars. It actually felt more like a Star Wars movie. It did actually, with a lot of the uh, the chase scenes with the bird, the, the through the over the what was that? The space landing. Oh, that was a planet. Yep, and then the and then the jumping from planet to planet stuff, and the the all the flying through space reminded me of. Uh, Anakin Skywalker jumping through the sky and all that sort of stuff in the shitty new new prequel movies. Prequels just don't work for me in general, I think. Because hmm, I don't mind reboots, and I guess that's what that's really will be my final thought here. Is that the reason why I like Star Trek 09 better than Into Darkness? Is that Star Trek 09 felt to me like a reboot. It really felt like a reboot. This movie to me felt like a prequel. Felt like a prequel to the five year mission. How the world had changed. It was all leading up to the end of this movie where it was the beginning of the prequel. Like This to me felt like Star Trek's version of episodes 1, 2, and 3 of Star Trek. A Star Wars where the other movie felt like its own franchise to me, like it was starting something new. And I don't feel like this movie continued on the good direction that the last movie did, where it felt like it was something different. This movie felt like fan service. Like it was, oh, we need to write C-3PO in there, so let's make Anakin build C-3PO so he's on Tatooine, so we can have uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO meet for the first time. (gasps) Wow! Let's have, since we blew up Vulcan, somehow that affects the eugenics wars and some weird person wants to dethaw Khan 
Yeah, let's do that and have it be con. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Because do you know what we can do? You know, instead of having Kirk so we don't have to worry about Kirk. Because we want to put that con line. Because people love that con line. It was in Seinfeld. People love it. So we need to have that con line. So since... But we can't have Pine do it because then it would be too much like a copy of Shatner doing it. Because we don't want him to be anything like Shatner. Oh, you know what would be awesome? It would be really awesome if we flip the scene around <gasps> yeah and it was Kirk that said the stuff and he was and Spock was telling asking him about friendship yeah and he was saying something along the lines of the needs of the many outweigh them but yes that's what we'll do oh great yeah people love that and you know what people loved it I'm the minority here but you know I do have issues Everyone, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back next time.